hello church. It is so good to be with you today. Wherever you're worshiping today, we are glad that you're here. My name's Ethan, one of the pastors, and happy 4th of July to you. I hope that you found a socially distant way to celebrate this weekend and just have a great time uh, celebrating Independence Day. You know, I don't talk much about our nation. It's super important that God's local church be focused on Christ's kingdom and not any one earthly nation. But I do just love the United States of America. I'm just, I, I love living here. I love being a part of this country. I've been super aware of that this year. In part, I got to visit D.C. and hang out with one of our local politicians who's a person of such great character and influence, and so that was encouraging. In part, it's because I love the 4th of July, right? I mean, like most of us, I started out loving hot dogs and fireworks, but eventually I came to love what the holiday represents. Have you ever thought about what we choose to remember on the 4th of July? We call it Independence Day, but what we're really remembering is the day that they signed the Declaration of Independence. And I love that this is what we remember. We don't remember October 17th, 1781, when Cornwallis surrendered at Yorktown. We don't remember September 3rd, 1783, when the Treaty of Paris was signed and the war officially ended. It seems like it's one of those two days that marks our actual Independence Day. But that's not what we remember. We remember the day we said we were independent, even when it wasn't yet true. The Declaration of Independence is an aspirational document. It says things they wanted to be true and wished to be true and intended to be true, but were not yet true. And I love that this is what we remember as a nation, because we as a nation are an aspirational people. Our vision for who we are is always better than who we are today. Even in the text of the Declaration itself, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Even that text, they probably were leaving out women and enslaved people and landless servants and the native tribes that were being displaced. It would take later generations to realize the aspirations of that early document. We weren't done as a people. From the very beginning, the greatness of our country hasn't been that we have arrived and accomplished everything, that we're sort of finished, but that we have never wavered in our aspiration to build a nation where there is liberty and justice for all. And these aspirations drive us forward and drive us into political conversations. And it seems to me that the, the, any of the greatness we enjoy today as a country is dependent on the aspirations of those who came before. And it's our aspirations to even make this place better that will make it better for our children. I mention all this uh, not to go on and on about the United States of America on July 4th. The church is the church of all nations. But I mention this because this quality of being an aspirational people, driven by a vision and a dream that we have not yet achieved, this is also true of the church. We love the church not just for who we already are, but also for who God calls us to be. We rejoice, of course, in what God has already done, but we look forward to what God is doing and what God will do. 
And this sense that we are an aspirational people, not yet having fulfilled all that God has in store for us, is especially clear to me when I look at the book of Philippians. For the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about the book of Philippians in your Bibles. And this is such a wonderful book. It's written to a great church. This is probably Paul's nicest letter of all the letters that he writes. Clearly, Paul loved this church and had so much to praise them for. There's none of the hard, harsh criticism of Galatians or the crisis counseling of the Thessalonians. There's no scolding like there is in the letter to the Corinthians. Clearly, Paul thinks that this church is doing well. But he doesn't think they're perfect. You see, because though he praises their generosity and he commends them for their faithfulness, he also calls them forward, calls them farther, calls them deeper into the likeness of Christ. It is an aspirational document challenging the church in Philippi to be more like who God made them to be. And that is what this next series is about. For the next four weeks, we're going to work through the four chapters of this short book of Philippians and ask God to renew our aspirations for the church, to call us to a fuller expression of the likeness of Christ in our individual lives and in our life together. And today we kick things off with chapter one to talk about one of the fundamental aspirations of the body of Christ. But to get the big picture of Paul's message, let's just work through the whole chapter. It's not that long. If you've got a Bible, grab it. Or if you can pull it up on your phone or a tablet or something like that, pull up Philippians chapter 1. The words will also be on your screen. And let's look at this text together. Paul writes, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi together with the overseers and the servants, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now, being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Notice already how though Paul praises them and remembers their partnership in the gospel from the very first day, he is not satisfied. Rather, he introduces this aspirational theme that Jesus isn't done with them yet. We need to know that as a church. Jesus isn't done with us yet. Jesus isn't done with you yet. However far you've come in your spiritual journey, whatever God has accomplished through our church, Paul says he hasn't finished. And the one who got started is going to finish the good work. He goes on, it's right for me to feel this way about you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or I'm defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, 
so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Again, do you notice that Paul's prayer is aspirational? He says, I want you to keep growing and keep loving more and more to grow in knowledge and grow in righteousness, however much Paul might celebrate the spiritual fruit that is already in their lives. He's not satisfied. He wants to call them to something more. Now, then Paul gives a report on his situation. He's already hinted at it uh, there in verse 7. Paul's been arrested for preaching the gospel, and he's not sure what's going to happen to him. Here's what he writes. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Okay, this is such an amazing lesson for us. We learn something from Paul here that, that could change your whole outlook on life. We learn Paul's standard for whether things are going well or things are going poorly. My standard might be, am I in prison? Yes, then things must not be going too well. But that's not Paul's standard. Paul's standard for assessing the situation he finds himself, himself in is this simple. Is the gospel advancing? Is the message of Jesus Christ being told more boldly? And he looks around and he says, sure enough, it is. I'm in prison and I could get to preach inside the prison. And all the people outside of prison, they've gotten encouraged and they're preaching too. This must be a pretty good situation. Do you want to know how to judge your circumstance? Judge it like Paul does. Is the gospel advancing? He goes on. He says, yeah, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, and, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they'll stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Again, we see this standard of Paul's operating. He's like, yeah, I've got some enemies. It's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, a lot of people are trying to get me and trying to make things worse for me. But my standard is, is the gospel advancing? And sure enough, it is. So things are going to be okay. He goes on. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit Jesus, of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by my life or by my death. Finally, we learn what's at stake for Paul. This is not just any arrest he's under. It's a capital crime. He could lose his life. He goes on, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. 
If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. You hear that aspirational sense of our faith? Your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound, will grow on account of me. This is the heart of the matter, Paul says. I might die. But even with that risk, Paul isn't worried. And then he wraps up the chapter with his declaration to them. This is the foundational truth Paul wants the Philippians to learn from his situation. The aspirational reality that he wants to mark the Philippian church and he wants it to mark this church and he wants it to mark your life. Here it is. This is what we can learn from Paul's situation. Verse 27. Whatever happens, Conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or I only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they, are being, they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved. And this will be done by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him since you are going through the same struggle that I saw you had. And now I hear that you still have. We learn something there, don't we? They're struggling just like Paul is. Maybe some of them have been arrested. Maybe some of them are at risk of death. We learn now this isn't just about Paul's struggle. It's about their struggle. And in the midst of that, he tells them, I love these two words. He says, whatever happens. That's a great line. Those two words introduce a sentence that goes to your core values. Maybe it's from a parent to a child. I remember going into Disneyland one time, and, 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 and it was my, my grandmother said to me, whatever happens, you hold on to my hand. Because she didn't want me seeing something crazy and running off. Or it's in a movie with one action hero says to another, whatever happens, I'll meet you at the rendezvous site. It's the sentence we say to recognize that circumstances may change, reality is hard to predict, but there are some things that will not waver. And in this case, it's a warning to the Philippian church, and it's a challenge for them. When Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves, and he tells them how to do It's a warning. He's saying, listen, whatever happens and stuff is going to happen. Look what's happened to me, he says. I've been shipwrecked and stoned and imprisoned and beaten and bankrupt and arrested and now might be killed. Stuff will happen. But it's also a challenge. He says, listen, you'll be tempted to take your eye off the ball. 
When whatever happens, happens, you'll be tempted to shift to other priorities. You'll be tempted to move in a different direction. And so I want you to know what you've got to do, whatever happens. I feel like we're living in a whatever happens kind of moment. We've got COVID and cancellations and chaos. We've got an election year and societal unrest. We have struggles for racial justice and struggles for community understanding. Uh, Churches are struggling right now, trying to figure out all this out. Families are struggling. Marriages are under intense pressure and struggling right now. The economy is in trouble. Whatever happens is happening, isn't it? And when whatever happens, happens, it can be easy to get into a reactive posture. That's kind of our temptation, isn't it, right? Instead of having a whatever happens attitude, we have a if this happens attitude. If this happens, I'll do this. And if this happens, I'll do this. And if this happens, I'll run. And if this happens, I'll hide. And if this happens, I'll celebrate. And if this happens, I'll weep. But Paul gives us a different strategy. He says, yeah, stuff is going to happen. And if his life is any indication, a lot of the stuff that happens isn't going to be the stuff we want to happen. But Paul says, when the stuff happens, whatever happens, hear again what he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. He doesn't say, if this happens, then you do this. No. He says, no matter what happens, you know what to do. That's still true for us, church. It's true for you. No matter what happens, you know what to do. What does he say to do? What is it we know to do no matter what happens? We stick together and we advance the gospel. He says, whatever happens, you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, you stand firm in one spirit. Whatever happens, you strive together for the sake of the gospel. You see, what Paul thinks, what he makes clear from this letter, is Paul thinks that whatever happens in this world is a gospel opportunity if we as the church adopt a gospel posture expressed in a gospel strategy. It would be like whatever situation you faced, if you brought it to Paul and said, what do you think about this situation? His answer would be, ooh, now that's a gospel opportunity right there. We can do something that we can proclaim the name of Jesus because of that. This will be a great opportunity for the gospel. And he wants that to be our whatever happens strategy too. 
That's the aspiration to which he calls our church and every church. Whatever happens, stick together and advance the gospel. So look around you. Stuff's happening. Where is this for you? A gospel opportunity. Where is this for you? An opportunity to increase the unity of God's church. Have you had that conversation with God? Because Paul says, whatever happens, no matter what happens, it's a gospel opportunity and a unity opportunity. So, how are you doing the work of sticking together, of staying connected, of keeping the unity? Here's what I notice. Whenever a gospel opportunity presents itself to the church, Satan wants to tear us apart. And so that along with this gospel opportunity, there are going to be plenty of things that could disunify us in our season. It would be so easy for us to get distracted and let the troubles and struggles and debates of this world disunify the church. Paul says, whatever happens, you don't let that happen. Whatever happens, you don't let that happen. Because he says, whatever happened, you've got to strive together. The other thing that can happen when stuff happens is we can forget that whatever happens, it's a gospel opportunity. We can be like, this is crazy right now and I'm overwhelmed right now. I'll work on advancing the gospel later. I'll invite somebody to church as soon as everything's calmed down and it's back to normal. I'll share my faith as soon as things have kind of been figured out and it's not so chaotic. I'll reach out to a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus Christ as soon as kind of it's easy to have people over for dinner. When we do that, we forsake the whatever happens mandate that Paul is giving us. Whatever happens, he says, you conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. And ignoring your lost neighbors and your lost co-workers is not a manner worthy of the gospel. So real specifically, I just want to ask you, how are you committed in the days ahead to the work of sticking together? Because Paul says, whatever happens, stick together. And how are you committed in the days ahead? What specific actions do you want to take to reach out and invite someone into the work of the gospel? Because Paul says, whatever happens, advance the gospel. And along the way, don't give up. We are, after all, an aspirational people. We rejoice not just in what God has already done, but what God has promised to do. Like, like seven times in that first chapter, Paul reminds the Philippian church that God is not done with us yet. That we want to abound more and more and grow more and more and love more and more. He prays for the Philippian church the very thing I'd like to pray for us right now. Gracious God, we come to you. Teach us whatever happens to be a people that stick together and advance the gospel. Gracious God, we come to you with the confidence of Paul that you 
who began a good work in us will not give up, but will carry it on until it is complete in the day of Jesus Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.